Glad to see everybody tonight. Got a question for you. How many times during the day do you stop for just a moment and consider the fact that you are part of something eternal? How many times during the day do you just stop? And if you're in Christ, understand for just a moment that you are part of something that will outlive every government, every part of the earth itself, that you and I are a part of something eternal, a kingdom that was in the mind of God before time even began and will be well beyond the end of time, a kingdom that will never be destroyed, a kingdom that is talked about throughout the Old Testament, a kingdom that will never be destroyed, not even when everything else is, including the mightiest of earthly kingdoms. Isn't that an incredible thought? We get caught up in the events of the day. Our, our parents, grandparents, our, our forefathers, back through all of the, the, you know, the, the, the world wars and the civil war and, and all of these times and before America was discovered and way back into Bible times, we're part of something's gonna outlast all of that. To me, that's incredible. Turn to me tonight in your Bibles to Psalm 2. No matter what man does, the kingdom is going to last forever. That's what God promised. No matter what route different nations take, no matter how much they plot and scheme and rage against God, it doesn't matter. We're part of something eternal that man cannot destroy. In Psalm 2, it is written, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Let us throw off God. I know it doesn't say God giggles, but it's that idea. The Lord, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son and today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces with a potter's vessel. God said, I'm gonna set my son on a throne. And that throne and that kingdom will never perish, no matter what. And these nations that fight against God they will become his inheritance to do with as he wants to, to dash, to break. And so the psalmist concludes in verses 10 through 12 by saying, now therefore, because of what he's just said, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. God's saying, better listen up, beware, warning, warning, warning. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. When God's even a little upset, it's enough to destroy the nations who do not love God. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? Psalm of peace and security. But this, this idea, this, this passage, 
is not just a middle of the Bible one, but this is a truth. It's not a concept, it's a truth that permeates the entire record from Exodus to Revelation as we are about to see tonight. Exodus on one end of the Bible, obviously, or almost the beginning. Revelation's on the other end. And, and this message of Psalm 2 permeates that whole expanse of text as we are about to see. Yes, we're going to talk more tonight about the book of Revelation as we did this morning, but from a different angle. The book of Revelation is full of symbolic language with literally hundreds of Old Testament references. And, and those references are designed in part to remind our mostly Jewish Christian brethren of the first century of the always victorious and mighty God who had been down this road with them before. We know in the book of Revelation, as I, as I talked about this morning, that the saints were being persecuted to death, literally. And the book of Revelation is to remind them, to give them little hints so they will look back. And remember, God's been down this road with them before, hadn't he? He'd been down this road with them, with Pharaoh, as we're going to see. And God, the same God who had been down the same road with them before, had in the past punished and annihilated the world's superpowers who had abused and persecuted his people. And he is reminding them in the book of Revelation that the mighty Roman Empire, who has been abusing his people, persecuting them, and putting them to death would be no different. And he's doing it, this is the cool part, God is doing it by reminding them in a way of those very events back in Exodus. He is speaking their language, as it were, speaking the language of these Jewish converts to Christianity, mostly. And it's a wonderful story for us to understand as well. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to bounce back and forth between Exodus 3 and Revelation 1. You want to find them both? That's fine. It has been said that no story in their history ever brought more comfort to the Jews than how God had brought their fathers out of Egypt with a mighty hand. How many times in the Old Testament do we read how God says, remember, I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand or an outstretched hand? That to them was, was the most incredible story, what God had done for them in that case. And the reminders of that incredible victory, we will see throughout these references from Revelation, because in the first century church, they were facing again a similar situation of, of death and destruction of them as God's people. And so I want us to look tonight at the reminders. And, and the lesson I want us to take from this, the same God who led his people out of Egypt is the same God who led his people to be victorious over Rome, is the same God who gave us the victory in Christ over sin, and is the same God that gives us victory today. That is the message I want for us to understand. And, and look how beautifully God reminds them that he's coming to them. For example, look at these similarities. We know the story of Moses and the burning bush, and I want us to pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Exodus 3, 
verses 5 through 9. Then God said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. God says, I've seen it. He goes on to say, I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. God says, I understand what they're going through. I've seen it. I've heard it. I know. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land, that land, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Lesson number one, God knows our sorrows. God knows our sorrows. Each of us have different sorrows. God knows our sorrows. God had seen, heard, and knew of his people's sorrows. And he was therefore coming down to deliver them, which, as we know from the rest of the story, he did it in pretty dramatic fashion. But I want you to, in your mind, understand the parallel in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we see a very similar situation. The saints are under a great persecution. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, and chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. As we read through the book of Revelation, we see their prayers come up before God in Revelation 5, verse 8, and chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Just like here, God hears their prayers. And just like here, as we read the book of Revelation, we understand that God, the God of all comfort, wanted his people to know that he'd seen and he understood and he heard their prayers and he was coming to rescue them and that the mighty Roman Empire as their persecutors were going to go down in flames. God, God wanted his people to know that. So in Revelation chapter 1, here we go, bouncing back and forth. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Please notice Revelation 1, 1 and 2. It is the revelation which God gave Jesus and Jesus gave an angel to share with his servant John to share with his people. It's the same thing we see in Exodus almost when God wanted for his servant Moses to, tell, to pass on this message to God's people of hope in the midst of their affliction. This is reminiscent as we read Revelation chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. It's very similar to Exodus 3 and verse 2 where it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And, and again, what was the message that, that the angel of the Lord had for Moses? I'm going to set my people free. Just like the message here. There's hope, brethren, even in the midst of what you're going through here in Revelation 1, 1 and 2. In Revelation 1 and verse 3, 
As we covered this morning, it said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. The people, our first century brethren in Christ, who were undergoing this life and death persecution, they needed to not only hear God's message, but they had to trust God enough. Even in the midst of their life and death persecutions, they had to trust God enough to keep his word or to obey his word if they were to be truly blessed and rescued. Now, as they heard these words, some of our first century Jewish descent Christian brethren, as they heard these, many of them would be well aware that Moses had told the Israelites that they must diligently heed the voice of the Lord their God and do what was right in his sight, giving ear to his commandments and keeping all his statutes if they wanted to be blessed. We find that in Exodus 15, 26 and 23, 22. The messages are, are so similar. Back there in those passages, Moses says, you gotta, you gotta not only hear it, you gotta do it. What does John say here? You gotta heed these words. You've gotta keep those things that are written in the word of God. The similarities are the same. We're not gonna be blessed if we're not keeping what God said. God said, I'll deliver you. I'm there for you. I know what your struggle is. I know how hard it is. And, and I'm going I'm to get you through this, and I'm going to get you out of this. But you've got to listen to me, and you've got to do it my way. You know, sometimes we have a situation with our children where they're near something dangerous. Maybe a snake, maybe this, maybe that. And, and we say to them, come here now. Come here, you just come. And see, they don't have to understand necessarily why we tell them to do what we tell them to do, but there should be an urgency in our voice that they will just come. And, and this is it with God. There's an urgency here, God will take care of them, God will protect them, but they've got to keep those things that are written just like those in the Exodus had to. John and, and our first century brethren here had to know the promises of the Revelation just like the promises of the Pentateuch were only for those who remained faithful under fire. And brethren, that's us today. We got to remain faithful under fire. John had let them know and reminded them of this in Revelation 2 and verse 10 when he said, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Also in Revelation 17, 14, he says, these will make war with the lamb. The lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. We must be faithful to God. Even when it hurts. Even when it seems like the world is coming to an end. Isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? Three times he prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Comes out and says to the disciples, look, my betrayer is coming. That's who these promises are, are geared to because it is they who will be blessed by these promises, that is the faithful. I, I love this verse four, and, and we skip right over this first line of Revelation 1-4. In Revelation 1-4, we see that the Revelation was written to the seven churches which are in Asia. This letter of hope and encouragement in the midst of life and death persecution was written to, specifically, the churches of the first century Roman province of Asia, an area that is now on the western shore of modern day Turkey. Question, why them? 
This is so important. This is so beautiful. It was not original to me, okay? But why them? I feel like doing the Jeopardy tick-tock, tick-tock, but I won't. I want you to really, really, why them? Think about this. Why them? According to David Roper, the reason why them, when it could have been anybody in the first century world, listen to what David Roper says. Because that's where Roman persecution was the fiercest. That was where Christians were hurting the most. God knew where the need was. God knew where his children were in pain, and he directed his comfort to where it was needed. Isn't that awesome? God met them at their point of pain because they were in the place of the most persecution. They were where the, the persecution was the fiercest and the pain was the worst and, and the life and death hurting was the worst. And so God, God comes there. God doesn't avoid a fight for his people. When his people are hurting and persecuted, God doesn't say, well, you know, I'm not getting involved with that. I'm not big enough. No, I love what God says. God met them right where they hurt the most. Not, don't we have an awesome God? When he came to Moses in Exodus 3, 7, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I am aware of their sufferings. God knows where we hurt. And that's where he comes. God knows where everybody hurts. Look at Revelation 2 and verse 13. Look what he says. He says, I know your works. I know where you are. I know what's going on in your life. I know your works and where you dwell. He said, I know where you live and I know what you live with. Where Satan's throne is. That's pretty powerful language. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. Notice it's not just any faith, it's God's faith. It's the faith of the New Testament. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. He said, even in the face of, of your brethren being put to death for their faith, you didn't do anything but stand with me. He said, I know what's going on in your world. I know where you are. Isn't it awesome to know that God knows where you are in your life? I know where you are, he says. I know where you live. And brethren, God still knows. He knows when you're heartbroken. He knows when you are lonely. He knows when you are overwhelmed. He knows when you feel like it's time to quit. God knows where you live. And that's the message here. In Revelation chapter one, continuing on, let me start again with verse four and read down through the first part of five. It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace. What do you mean peace? We're dying here. God says, all right, I got this. It's okay. Grace and peace. Even in the midst of your persecution, grace and peace. From him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Did, did you catch that? To the ruler over the kings of the earth. If you're getting this letter and it's from God, and, and Rome is just persecuting the church to pieces, and you get a letter, and it's this God of all hope and comfort. And right up front, in the very beginning of it, you are reminded that Jesus Christ is the ruler over the kings of the earth, just like it says in Psalm 2. The nations rage and plot in vain. Jesus is still in control. He is the ruler over all the kings of the earth. And I want to look at these three, the Godhead backwards. I want to go back up through, and I have a reason for doing that. We will go backward. Obviously, Jesus Christ, again, firstborn from the dead, ruler over the kings of the earth. Then we back up to the seven spirits who are before the throne. Please understand, there's only one spirit. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one spirit, one body, and one hope, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. But the reason it says seven is because Revelation is a book of symbolism. It's not meant to be taken literally. Seven is a good Bible number which, which signifies perfection. That's why, by the way, the number six in Revelation is the number of humanity or that which is, which is flawed because it's one less than perfection, which is seven. So written in apocalyptic language, it says the seven spirits, but it's talking about the full and complete one Holy Spirit. But then, this, this phrase is the one I wanted to get to, the very first one he uttered. Peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. That phrase right there, that phrase, talking about God, is a term that is tied directly back to God delivering his Old Testament people, Israel. Did you know that? That term is tied to, if you read this and you were one of the first century Jewish converts to Christianity and you read that, there's one thing that that is designed to bring to mind when he talks about grace and peace from God who is, who was, and who is to come. What does that remind you of? The greatest story in all Israelite history. The story in Exodus where God has Moses lead the people out. Let me show you that direct tie to Exodus 3. Turn back to Exodus 3, 13 through 15. And this would remind them of that. Exodus chapter 3. Look at verses 13 through 15. And I'll be with you momentarily. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What's his name? What do I say to him? Look what God says to Moses. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Did you hear what God just said to Moses? Tell him I am. What does that mean? That means I was present tense then. I am present tense now. I will always be present tense. I always am. 
the God who is, who was, and who is to come. It is the same thing. This eternal God that always exists. I, I can't say always existed, although he did, but we've got to take the time out of it. God is always present tense. That's what Moses was to tell the people then. I am. And it's what John is to tell the suffering saints in Revelation. He who is, who was, and who is to come. The eternal God that is always present tense. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And guess what? God is today. And if this world spins another 10 bazillion years, guess what? God will be present. And when all of this is burned up and gone away, God will be present. And God was here before any of it was created because God created it. This is the God who sent his son to die for you and I so we could become a part of this kingdom that will be eternal as well. You're part of something eternal. I don't care, I don't care how many times the news stories change. I don't care how, how much time goes by in our lives. We're part of something eternal that cannot be shaken, it tells us in Hebrews 12. The Greek phrase, him who is, in Revelation 1-4 is the equivalent of the Hebrew I am of Exodus 3 in verse 14. The great I am, we sing. The great I am is, no matter when that statement is made. Those familiar with the Old Testament could not hear this term without being reminded of God's deliverance of Israel. They might recall how God enabled Moses and Aaron. You remember, you remember the story from Exodus 3? Remember how God allowed Moses and Aaron to do miraculous signs and wonders? You remember that? Well, there's a reminder of that in Revelation. David Roper said, oppressed Christians would be assured that the God who was not intimidated by Pharaoh would not be intimidated by Caesar. The God who had delivered his people in the past could deliver his people in their day, for God was still in control. Brethren, how much we need that message today? Pharaoh did not upset, Pharaoh did not intimidate God. Domitian and Nero in the Roman Empire did not intimidate God. And there's nothing in your life that's going to intimidate God. What an awesome God. In Revelation chapter 1, again verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Once again, if you're reading this and you're one of those persecuted saints and you know, you know the Old Testament, you know your Jewish history and, and your Jewish descent in particular, I mean, it was certainly there for all Christians, but... If you knew that and you read this, 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 wow, this reminds me of something. What, what does this remind me of? He has made us to be a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. There's something there I recall from my, my Bible study growing up. You know what it is? It's in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Look at the parallel. Exodus chapter 19, 3 through 6. Again, remembering how God delivered them from Pharaoh. And look what is in the midst of that here in Exodus 19.3. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. 
Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen. As the persecuted saints of the first century heard how, how they would be this kingdom to God. And if they knew their Old Testament at all and know in Exodus 19, they could look back and say, wow, God promised that before and he delivered. Pharaoh went down. Egypt went down. We know the story. They did. And he said if we'd obey him, we'd be that kingdom. Well, the persecuted saints in the first century knew what had happened to Pharaoh. And so they could say, hey, you know what? God can do the same thing to the Roman Empire. Reminder after reminder after reminder from their deliverance in the Old Testament to their deliverance in the latter part of the first century. Revelation 1 and verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. As I read that word, mourn, and I think of those who reject God and how they will mourn because he comes and they finally realize they were wrong, I can't help but think back to Exodus, back to God delivering his children then from Pharaoh. And what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh mourned over the loss of his firstborn. Another reminder, as God did then, God will do now. As God delivered then, God will deliver now. And as all these reminders in Revelation, it is just the most beautiful thing. Revelation 1 and verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, <laughs> the Almighty. This is simply the stamp of authenticity. What is Jesus saying? He said, I am that God. That great I am from back in Exodus 3, this great God that's got a message for you, who is and who was and who is to come, Jesus said, that's me. You can stake your life on what I tell you. Jesus is letting them know that you can stake your life on these guaranteed promises. Listen, their world looks so dark and so awful and so terrible. Just for being a Christian, they were being killed. And yet, yet here comes this revelation and Jesus says, look, I'm God. I've heard your cries. I've seen your distress. I know where you live. But trust me, no matter what, I am that God. That same God who gave victory then and I will give you victory now. Just stay with me. You can count on this because I said so. And you know, there's a lot of other similarities, and, and we're not going to go to each one. We've kind of set the stage here, but there's a lot of other similarities or reminders of the victory that God gave his Old Testament people over Egypt and how he had planted those little clues in here to remind the people he'd do the same thing in their time of distress, our brethren of the first century. For example, we would notice the trumpet-like sound. Do you remember when God came down on Mount Sinai? Remember that? When God came down on Mount Sinai and all the dark clouds and all of that, it was a trumpet-like sound that signaled the arrival of God on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, verses 16 and 19. 
And did you notice the similarity of the trumpet-like voice signaling the arrival of God on the scene in Revelation 1.10 when he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, if I'm of Jewish descent and, and I read John's writing and, and I'm being persecuted, he says, I heard this voice like a trumpet. It was God showing up on the scene. That's the way God showed up on the scene in Exodus 19 with the sound of a trumpet. And I'm reminded of that, and, and over and over I'm reminded of God giving his people the victory then to give me comfort and know that he will give his people the victory now. We would notice another similarity. Both Pharaoh of Egypt and the Roman emperors were worshipped as gods. We would also notice, and this is really cool, it would comfort the people who remembered how God had sent those two men that I mentioned earlier, Moses and Aaron, to Pharaoh. Remember they could do signs and wonders, Moses and Aaron, as I said a few minutes ago. It would remind these first century Christians in Revelation of that story yet again, when they read of the two witnesses who have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire in Revelation 11 verses three and six. In Revelation 11, 3 and 6, those two witnesses that had the power to do miracles, turn water to blood. Listen, if you can read about turning water to blood and not remember what happened back there, you're missing something in your Old Testament history class, okay? There's other similarities, other things that would remind them. As God's Old Testament people were cared for by God in the wilderness, his New Testament people are church are pictured in the book of Revelation as being fed and nourished by God in the wilderness as well in Revelation chapter 12 verses 6 and 14 and again you read about God's people being God said I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to take care of you out here in the wilderness and I'll feed you and I'll nourish you. <gasps> Does that remind me of? Well it reminds me of the Exodus when we had that great victory over Pharaoh and God provided manna for us back then. Over and over, over and over, finally those who remembered the story of how God had given his people victory in the Old Testament to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey, just like he promised, would be comforted in their perilous first century journey to the holy heavenly city as they read about the river of the water of life, the tree of life, a place where God would wipe away every tears from their eyes and there would no longer be any death. What I want for us to understand tonight is, as we prepare to kind of wrap this into a neat little package is this. In Psalm 2, we have the reminder that God's in control no matter what the nations do. We see God is in control in giving his people victory from Exodus to Revelation. And the beautiful thing about this particular lesson that I like, which was not original to me, um, well, the idea wasn't, but I've worked with it some, God wanted his people to, and he kept reminding them, hey, it's like, Revelation is like God telling them, hey, do you remember when I, uh, do you remember when I, do you remember when I gave you victory? Do you, you remember the two witnesses? You remember what happened back there? You, you remember when I, when I took care of you in the wilderness? All of those reminders are printed in like little clues to the book of Revelation so God's people wouldn't lose hope. And brethren, what I want for us to understand is that overall, this book, is a lot like that. Throughout this book, we have 
incredible promises and clues. We have incredible encouragement and hope that even in our darkest hour, God is saying, look, you remember the victories I've always given my people? I haven't forgotten where you are. Some days we may feel like God's forgotten what we're going through or God doesn't understand. And that's just simply not true. That's not what the Bible says. Doesn't the Bible say we have a, a Savior who was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin? Don't we have a Savior who understands because he's been where we are, he's lived here? Isn't that the message of the scripture? God hasn't forgotten where you are. God, God knows where you live. And he wants you to know that as long as you walk through whatever it is with him, that the victory he guarantees. That doesn't mean you're going to win every battle here. It doesn't mean all your pain is going to miraculously go away. But what it does mean is this. God knows. God will take care of you. God will give you the victory. God will take you home to eternity to live with him where there is no death. There is no pain. There is no suffering. All he asks you to do is to trust him through this life and whatever you're going through. Are you on that journey? You see, the Israelites, in order to escape Egypt, had to have the faith to go through the water as God commanded. They had to have that faith. When they're backed up against the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh and his armies, and, and, and they've got to do something. They've got to obey God. They've got to do something. They can't just stand there and get annihilated. They've got to trust God enough. When Moses raises that staff and the waters part, they've got to have faith enough. And I'm telling you, it must have taken some faith. I know I've said this before, but I ain't, I'm thinking twice before I walk out there. But they had the faith to go through the water. Why? Why? This is so important. Why? Because God said, this is what you got to do. And today, there's a parallel for us. We've got to go through the water. We can't get to heaven without going through the water. Just as it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. In the same way, we have to be baptized into Christ. We've got to go through the water. There is no other way. As God told Moses at the Red Sea in Exodus 14, 15, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Tell them to go through the water. Get them moving. Very similar to what the Apostle Paul was told to do by Ananias, Ananias in Acts 22 when he said, Now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There's another similarity. There's another parallel. What you waiting for? Go. God's ready to forgive you if you go through the water. God's ready to give you the victory if you go through the water. What are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's where the victory is. Do you have the faith tonight to arise and come forward, to go through the water by being baptized into Christ, to wash away your sins, and become white in the blood of the Lamb, as we read about this morning from Revelation chapter 7? The only way to the promised victory is to go through that water for that reason and then hang on to God for the rest of this earthly life. God says you do that, I'll be with you every step of the way. If he's not with you tonight, that can be fixed right now as we stand and sing.